0: Magic financing featuring Mago the Magician. They can help you get auto financing for anything in business for over 32 years. Magic Financing is dedicated to customer satisfaction. If you've got credit issues, they have the answer. No matter what your profile is, they can help. They work with people who have fair, bad, or just terrible credit, repayment history, as well as people who have no money down. That's right, no money down. They're located at 6385 North Federal Boulevard with a great auto inventory. Give them a call at 303-298-1155. That's Magic Financing, features Mago the Magician. They're open Monday through Friday until 8 and Saturdays till 7. Check them out. That's Magic Financing. Call them today at 303-298-1155. Tell them you heard about it here at KUHSDenver.com. Also visit us at www.magicfinancing.com. Good afternoon,
1: everyone. Uh, This is the Council with Charlie Pacello. Boy, oh boy, folks, are we in some challenging times. Um, But before we get into our conversation today about what we're all facing and the crisis that we're dealing with, uh, I just want to thank my my sponsor, magicfinancing.com. If you need a car, used car, brand new car in Colorado, they will help you. They'll help you if you need uh, to finance it. They'll help you if you're, if you're struggling. Or if you're just looking to change and get a brand-new car, they'll help you too. Uh, Maurizio is the best. He's, uh, he's been helping our family for decades, uh, and they will help you. So let them know that Charlie, you heard, the, uh, heard about him from Charlie on the council, and they'll take care of you. So magicfinancing.com. Uh, folks, we are living in unprecedented times. Uh, there's a lot of fear in the air. There's a lot of uncertainty. Uh, there is uh, things that are happening so fast, it's so fluid and un- and, and unpredictable that we are uh, we- we're just trying to manage the stress and the anxiety and the tension uh, moment by moment. And uh, you know, in the beginning of March, you know, we only heard about uh, this coronavirus case, and we only had like, something like 70 cases here. Of the virus in the United States and boy that seems like another century ago Uh, in a matter of week we have seen cases here and around the world uh, particularly in Europe um, increase exponentially unlike anything we have seen in our time Um, it's pretty scary and it's heartbreaking my uh, I have a lot of relatives and people who tune in from the show from Italy and my heart goes out to everyone who's going through that Um, they just had Another uh, about almost 6,000 people of new cases, and another 637 deaths. Uh, my brother's wife is is not able to come back because of what's happening over there, uh, and they are warning us to take heed, and to not to take this seriously, uh, and so that we can avoid. Uh, what has happened over there because uh, Italians we're, we're, we're happy people we love people we want to embrace people touch people I mean that's just the nature of the, that's how we are we embrace life and it's and you know it's caused a lot of problems because they didn't understand the nature of this virus and and, and, and implementing the things that we have to do right now to keep it to keep it down and uh, it's a reality many of us uh, are having to face And and it's also a reality a lot of us don't want to admit. We don't want to take the responsibility or or acknowledge that we have to take, in this moment of time, we have to be not thinking about me. We have to be thinking about we. We have to be thinking about all of us. And uh, everything we do matters. Everything. Every action has a consequence, and in this moment, it couldn't be life or death for people. And if we only are thinking about ourselves, we pay a heavy price for our selfishness, and our ego-driven desires. Folks, we're all in this together. I mean, we really are. And uh, whether you want to be, believe it or not. <laughs> and whether you want to be or not, uh, your individual actions and our collective actions will determine whether this becomes an overreaction that people will eventually criticize and condemn for its a draconian and authoritarian measures and complain that, well, nothing happened. Well, that's kind of the idea. We don't, it's, we have to suppress this. Uh, or if we don't act, if we act just impo- like we, we don't have to take these kinds of precautions, it will become one of the great pandemic disasters um, in world history, akin to the Spanish flu pandemic of 1918, which killed over 40 to 50 million people worldwide. And we'll get to that here in just a second. What we do in the next couple of weeks is very critical. But we have to have a sober reality of what we're dealing with and what is expected of us as citizens of the world, not just here at home in the United States. The truth is, we may have been we may be past the point of this pandemic exploding beyond what we could uh, possibly imagine. Um, except perhaps some of the people at the public health department that routinely run these exercises uh, to uh, to understand the nature and to gauge the preparedness, the capabilities and deficiencies of our government and country to withstand a major viral outbreak. According to the New York Times, one uh, one of these exercises was conducted last year in 2019 and showed where we were most vulnerable in an outbreak. Uh, and, and that was, of course, what you're hearing all in the news, uh, the shortage of medical equipment, such as protective gear and ventilators, uh, which would impact healthcare, care, emergency services, and other elements of critical infrastructure. So what makes this outbreak so different from the rest? Well, we as a country in 2009 had the first flu pandemic in more than 40 years when the H1N1 uh, flu, or swine flu, broke out after 10 year, after, broke out after a 10-year-old California girl was diagnosed with a contagious disease. Uh, it turns out, which I didn't know about this until this week, my nephew had caught in it. Uh, and I didn't realize that. And so it touched my family. Uh, when all was said and done, the CDC estimated that there were about 60.8 million cases in the United States along with 274,304 hospitalizations and 12,469 deaths associated with the virus. The virus turned out to be less deadly than what doctors first expected, but it was a warning shot to take seriously the potential threat a pandemic could unleash upon an unsuspecting society. Now, the Ebola outbreak in 2014, which started in West Africa, was less contagious than the flu, but a whole lot more deadly. Uh, The mortality rate for Ebola was around 50%. So here's what we know today about the virus we call coronavirus that everybody's talking about, and it's, or COVID-19. This is what we know of as of today. Number one, it is very contagious, more contagious than the flu. As of today, it has a higher death rate than the seasonal flu. Uh, the global death rate is estimated at 3.5%. That's really, really high. The normal for seasonal flu is 0.01%, I believe. And so we've, that's why there's such incredible concern from the people who are the experts and the top people who, like Dr. Fauci who know this stuff, and we've got to listen to them. We as a species do not have any immunity for this disease. Some of the key symptoms are coughing, fever, shortness of breath. Now, 80% of the cases are mild. That's true. Most of us uh, with healthier immune systems, we can overcome it easily. Uh, But we can be carriers for the less, you know, people who are older, over uh, 65 or older, uh, people with compromised immune systems. Uh, Now, the transmission is spread through respiratory droplets. along with other bodily secretions. And each person passes it to 2.2 others, which will, fall as a, which will fall as containment and quarantine efforts increase. Who are the most affected? The elderly, adults over 65, those with compromised immune systems. And as far as treatments, as far as we know right now, there are, there's none. Uh, we will eventually get a vaccine, but that's usually about 12 to 18 months that's normal for a virus. And then all this stuff comes from uh, the healthline.com you can look this stuff up or or John Hopkins and uh, you go to reputable organizations that you know are going based upon the science. Now we must move from complacency to urgency to resiliency and this is really a call for action for all of us not to get stuck in the fear because we will cre- co-create our reality, and if we actually in, in give ourselves away to the fear and the anxiety of it, we will, we will, we will make bad decisions. But you gotta, you gotta take this and recognize that you have, you have something inside of you that can overcome this. But you gotta know the truth about things, and that's what's the great thing about being Americans. You tell them the truth, they'll do the right thing. And I believe that across the board, and every, you know, every American, you may not like where we are, And we may have to argue about how we got here later, but right now we got to take this, and we got to do the right thing. And even if that action is to do nothing, staying home, washing your hands with soap and water, (laughs) social distancing, stop shaking hands with people for a while. Uh, And I I always shake hands. That's something I'm having to learn as well. These are actions we can take now that can save lives later. And if we don't do these things, we could potentially lose hundreds of thousands of people to this disease. Maybe more. We don't, we don't know yet. And uh, we, we have a lot of uh, models. And that's why you're seeing some of these governors right now reacting the way they are because these models are indicating that, wow, we, uh, if we don't do something now, we could have a real problem on our hands. Um, recognize that they're planning for the worst, and, and they may already know that we may be too late. So the magnitude of this crisis is extraordinary, but we're up for it, and you can do it. We can all do it, but you need to take it very seriously. Otherwise, what is happening in my <laughs> my native country, Italy, my mom's native country, Italy, right now, will happen here, and it's heartbreaking. As of today, March 20th, there are, well, actually, there's more now than what, there's, there's over 250,000 cases worldwide. Deaths are over 11,000. Uh, they are, more have recovered. There's about 90,000 that have recovered. Uh, and just in the United States, we have uh, new cases that are about three thousand. All right, you have to deal with reality in order to change it. You're not pretending to be something other than it is, because if you deny what is, it will grow. In anything, that's just the nature of. It. And so we've got to speak the truth about things. And when the thing is, the truth empowers you. It, it does. It, when you have the truth, you can do. You can face. Almost anything if you have the truth. And even if you don't like what you hear, you can make informed choices that will save you and save others. Stay away as well from any of and all conspiracy theories at this time. They are like, it's what I call psychic viruses. And they will recruit your will to own it. And they know you're vulnerable right now. And they know you're in fear and all that. And they'll recruit you. You've got to stay, and once they get in, they will have you doubting everything that is true. They will turn your moral world upside down. You will believe what is false to be the truth, and what is truth to be false. In this moment, focus on what is most important, which is life, and and its preservation. And when this passes... We can get back to all of our delusions and illusions and arguments and politicking and the spectacles that dominate our lives, okay? But for now, I recommend avoiding all the temptations from all the conspiracy gaps. Let's, let's work together, let's, let's help each other. And no matter where you fall on the political or religious spectrum. And we need to learn from our ancestors who experienced a severe pandemic just over 100 a, a years ago. In 1918, there was what was called the Spanish flu pandemic. It was the deadliest in history. And it infected an estimated 500 million people worldwide, about one-third of the planet's population, and killed an estimated 40 to 50 million victims, including some 675,000 Americans. The 1918 flu was first observed in Europe, in the United States and parts of Asia, before swiftly spreading around the world. At the time, there were no effective drugs or vaccines to treat the killer flu strain and citizens were ordered to wear masks. Schools, theaters and businesses were shuttered and bodies piled up in makeshift morgues before the virus ended its deadly global march. Now, the first wave of the 1918 pandemic occurred in the spring and was generally pretty mild. You know, people got sick, experienced flu like symptoms, chills, fevers, fatigue. Uh, and they usually recovered after several days, and and the number of reported deaths was pretty low. However, there was a second very highly contagious wave of influenza that appeared with a vengeance in the fall of that year. And victims died within hours or days of developing symptoms. Their skin turned blue and their lungs filled with fluid that caused them to suffocate. In just one year in 1918, the average life expectancy in America plummeted by a dozen years. It's unknown exactly where the particular strain of influenza that caused the pandemic came from. However, the 1918 flu was first observed in Europe, America, and areas of Asia before spreading to almost every other part of the planet within a matter of months. And despite the fact that the 1918 flu was isolated to one place, it became known around the world as the Spanish flu, as Spain was hit hard by the disease and was not subject to the wartime news blackouts that affected other European countries. Even Spain's King Alfonso um, the 13th reportedly contracted <coughs> the flu. Now, one unusual aspect of the 1918 flu was that it struck down many previously healthy young people, a group normally resistant to this type of infectious illness, including a number of World War I servicemen. In fact, more U.S. soldiers died from the 1918 flu than were killed in battle during the war. Forty percent of the U.S. Navy was hit with the flu, while 36 percent of the Army became ill, and troops moving around the world in crowded ships and trains helped to spread this killer virus. Now, although the death toll attributed to the Spanish flu is often estimated at 40 million to 50 million victims worldwide, other estimates run as high as 100 million victims, around 3% of the world's population. and Its exact numbers are impossible to know because they didn't have the, the medical record keeping that we do today. What is known, however, is that few locations were immune to the 1918 flu. In America, victims range from residents of major cities to those of remote Alaskan communities. Even President Woodrow Wilson reportedly contracted the flu in early 1919 while negotiating the Treaty of Versailles, which ended World War I. Let me put the death toll in perspective again. Approximately 16 million people died in all of World War I. Spanish flu 50 million to 100 million victims worldwide in a year. And it affected all levels of society, governments, hospitals, families, children, the economy. Businesses closed and shut down. Events were canceled. Very much what is happening right now. Now, what is a virus? A virus is a biological agent that reproduces inside the cells of living hosts. And when infected by a virus, a host cell is forced to quickly produce thousands of identical copies of the original virus. Unlike most living things, viruses do not have cells that divide. New viruses are assembled in the infected host cell. A virus can only survive when in the cell of a living human being. So in order for it to replicate, it has to move on to another host or other human beings. If a virus can't find another host, it dies. That's why this basic idea behind social distancing—it significantly reduces the chance of the virus spreading to others. The virus is here; it's in every state, and we are past the time of isolating it. We've got to mitigate it. We got to, as you're hearing so much about, we got to keep that. We got to, we got to flatten the curve, so we can get back to the lives that we, we have, and our and our the freedoms that we cherish. So you might think that this is the authoritarian state taking control of our lives, but it's a real epidemic and pandemic, and the numbers keep going up. You've got to take this seriously. See, the virus doesn't discriminate. It doesn't care if you're liberal or conservative, atheist, Catholic, Hindu, Muslim, Jewish, Protestant, or New Age. It doesn't care about your diet and what you eat or don't eat. Old or young, healthy, sick, tall, short, skinny, fat, rich, poor. This virus and all viruses don't care. It's <laughs> an invisible enemy that has the potential to inflict a tremendous amount of harm and death for those we care about and love. We have a common adversary. The entire world, for the first time, is united in this, confronting this adversary that, that can threaten some of the most vulnerable of us, the ones that we love the most. And our world is going to change because of this. We're not going to be the same in 12 to 18 months. You know, that, that the medical experts expect this to pass uh, to, by the time we get a, a vaccine. And in order to get through it, we've got to be vigilant. We've got to be persistent. We've got to be courageous. The strength in each one of you is programmed for you for times like this. Your ancestors handled it. You just need to activate it within you and have love and compassion for the people all around you. And together we can move from complacency to urgency to resiliency, just like our ancestors did when they were called to meet the challenges they were faced with. And now we gotta do our part. No, folks, um, to help us to kind of give us this sense of what it means and to give a perspective of the Public Health Service and what they do and the, the kind of people that are there And and someone who's been on the front lines of this for uh, 20 years. I mean, he was involved in this for a very long time. And he was a very dear friend of mine. And I asked him to come on the show so that we could talk about this and give people the tools they need to build that resiliency and courage within them. Uh, I would like to introduce to you a retired commander, Jason Ortiz. Jason Ortiz is a 25 year healthcare executive serving in complex roles in healthcare leadership and innovation. He is a certified healthcare CIO and a member of the American College of Healthcare Executives. Jason is a retired commander of the United States Commissioned Corps and aide de camp of the 17th Surgeon General of the United States. Jason's 13 years as a public health service officer gave him exposure to the key organizations, including Centers for Disease Control, Center of, medical, of Medicare and Medicaid Services, and had experienced dealing with major public health threats to the population of immigration and other undeserved populations. Jason's prior seven years in the Air Force covered healthcare care supply chain, flu vaccine distribution to Air Force bases worldwide, medication management and equipment management to support Air Force medical operations, after his 20 years active duty, Jason worked at Sharp Healthcare in San Diego, California as an information technolo- technology leader, supporting IT teams to optimize the delivery of medications and treatments in the five hospital healthcare system of over 2,100 inpatient beds. After serving as a consultant for several healthcare-focused companies, Jason has recently accepted a position as a director of information systems at Cal Optima a government Medicaid payer of claims for health services for members of the Orange County community with critical medical conditions. His first day at Cal Optima is Monday. Jason, welcome to the show.
2: Thanks. Great to be here. Uh,
1: gosh, you know, could you? I mean, I, what an amazing... History you have, Jay, and I've known you for a long time. And uh, could you just tell us a little bit about how you got into the public health service, your career in the Air Force, and just so people kind of kind of get a sense of who you are, Jay?
2: Yeah, great. Well, thanks, Charlie. It's great for our uh, you know lives to pass at us like this. I think uh, my experience in healthcare and what the world is going through. Uh, And what you do in the council and trying to create hope for people is inspiring. So I'm excited to be able to share sites. Um, I'll put a caveat in there. I'm not a doctor, right? I'm not a scientist. (laughs) I've been around a lot of them and have a tremendous respect for how they both analyze the science, work with local authorities, and deliver an appropriate response, uh, supporting the community and the best interests of the community. So I'm inspired about that call and I'm inspired that you're using this platform to make clear messages to people. Uh, I'm glad to be able to contribute. So to answer your question, what got me into where I'm or what my career was in well active duty, it was kind of a surprise. I turned down a pilot I had to go speak to the general and tell him why I didn't wanna be a pilot and I wanted to be in healthcare. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I jumped into supply chain thinking that would be a way I would be able to contribute and, uh, you know, obviously think of how I uh, support the better, the larger health system whole. So I found out about the public health service doing the flu vaccine distribution, the Air Force, and it, it had a calling for me. Mm. And uh, 9-11 came. And I had previously been doing preparations for response for 9-11, uh, trying to take ventilators and other equipment in storage for Air Force to make it available for Homeland Security response. So, that was kind of a passionate connection to the community that mm-hmm. um, that inspired me. Mm-hmm. So, I jumped into the public health service where I learned all about what these dedicated individuals do. Uh, I had the pleasure of serving under several surgeons general that um, just inspired me to, to advocate for underserved populations and uh, support the greater public health service mission. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, obviously, each country has a different uh, governance process. Uh, The World Health Organization, obviously, every country engages from that level, but then has their own implementation uh, and professionals that support this. And it it really kind of continued my inspiration about healthcare and um, kind of inspired me to go and, you know, apply the skills that I have, which is technology, Mm -hmm. to make that uh, a more efficient process, and I'm proud to say that um, I've, I've been in this amazing uh, industry watching technology improve response. Uh, it, it can always get better, mm-hmm. and it's getting better every day, but it that's what kind of got me uh, into this journey, uh, so 13 years after the Public Health Service, um, jumping into the commercial healthcare was, was really a, another way that I could Serve and and make the community and society better.
1: It's so amazing, Jay. You know, I've always known you to have a huge heart, and uh, we have uh, and, um, Jason and I have known each other for almost uh, how many years? Twenty years, I think. We've uh, over twenty years. more geez, my gosh, long time. Nineteen
2: ninety one, to be exact. That's right.
1: <laughs> that was true. We've known each other for a very long time, and he has one of the yeah. biggest, most uh, biggest hearts. Has such compassion. Uh, integrity. He does the right thing. He sees the larger picture. And, you know, he understands the the gravity of situation and is able to mobilize very quickly uh, resources and has been very, very successful and effective at doing that. Jason, how serious uh, should we be taking this? I mean, you've been doing this for uh, a number of years. Is this something because about, you know, I read yesterday or heard on the news, uh, I guess, yesterday, uh, that about a third of Americans don't really believe. They think it's kind of a hoax. They're not quite sure what the heck is going on. They may think the government's trying to take control of their lives, and this is Big Brother that's coming down. How serious should we take this?
2: Well, I think you launched it into a, a, you know, enough of a message to make it very clear this is a serious issue. Um, I mean, when you look at the infrastructure and what is um, at risk, is we have certain hospital beds, right? They're authorized based on, you know, what we need for on a recurring basis. And the real issue becomes when cases and urgency of need um, extends beyond where those beds can, what those beds can handle. And therefore the service level um, that's available in the more critical beds uh, are not available for the patients that need it. So I think what we have is, uh, a, you know, some serious technology being applied here to help us model mm-hmm. better than what we could do back in previous times that would show with various risk factors and scenarios, you know, what the outcome is going to be. You can say if we're conservative, here's where it's going to be. And if we're not conservative, we take we don't take the actions in the calculations we don't take the necessary actions or put a, you know, modest level of risk. A, and calculate into the calculation, it still results in um, you know modeling that shows um, an extension of resources. Mm-hmm. And so, um, while we face those models, you know, every moment in time we get to assess whether or not those models were accurate. Mm-hmm. And we do that more efficiently with technology. And and you know, the message is um, it's clearly showing um, that what's been done so far right is in alignment with the models that were projected so um, we need to continue to respect and honor the science that is being produced every day Mm -hmm. and respond accordingly and follow the guidance that is given to us that comes Mm -hmm. so you know i think my answer to the serious question is if we do the simple things is being open to to accepting the direction that comes and trust that the science is behind it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that's the way we show sense of urgency. It's hard to overcome interpersonal barriers, right? Mm-hmm. When someone is um, feeling like it's an overreaction, right? And I, you know, a, a lot of people get that. Um, you know, express that that this is an overreaction. Mm-hmm. And and I, you know, you have to sit and understand where they're coming from right? This is a major change of lives. This has great impact on, you know, people's, the economy and the um, ability for for people to earn a reasonable wage um, and all of those things. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, that reality uh, in itself is based on science, right? It's based on risk factors, right? And um, we we can't avoid, uh, you know, bringing attention to you know the needs for us to overcome some of those barriers those things that um you know kind of prevent us from taking it seriously mm-hmm. what what is it is it a social issue is is it a uh, a fear that um you know fear that this is a hoax is all is based you know on uh, a reasonable thought process but when you when you look at the science and what's being released and the technology that's behind it. Uh, I think there's some truth that you can gain by looking closely at
1: it. I agree. I totally agree, Jay. You know, I mean, it is looking at the truth of things. <clears throat> and how can you get to the truth of things is you got to – it's science. It's the evidence. And that's where you've got to point to. And you've got to treat every number that you see that comes up as, as – it's not a statistic. Yeah, the statistics are but that's every – every per every that's a person every every statistic is a person every statistic is a grandmother or a grandfather or an aunt or an uncle or a brother or a cousin or a baby i mean there's you've got to and we've got to be able to understand that these measures that we have are science-based and that the people that are doing it are, are doing these measures to protect the whole to protect everyone Uh, And it's one of those times where where we actually get to implement the idea of that we're here to take care of each other. We don't often get to do that in our culture, in our society. Which really has uh, this is one of those moments in time where we get to activate and and show uh, our concern and love for each other by actually doing these things that they're asking us to do. It is thinking about I could be a carrier. I could be someone who could infect somebody else along the way. And I could be so just thinking about myself and being reckless and not, you know, I'm not going to. And in turn, you could inadvertently, unwittingly infect somebody else that you care and love about. And so it's paying attention to the science and the people who have done this and, and trust. I mean, it's one of those things we have to learn how to trust again. Uh, Jay.
2: And one, one, one thing is an anecdotal experience. And sometimes these. Um, anecdotal experiences can be very helpful Mm. in people knowing that, you know, even I go through various phases of trying to assess the situation and take the appropriate action. So when Governor Newsom said that he was instituting a stay last night Mm -hmm. for everybody to stay at home, um, there was a lot of confusion. And and I have a a text group of people that communicates in my community, some, some military members that, you know, Army, Navy, uh, the second best service is just kidding. Um, <laughs> That's right. <you> know, <laughs> that, that, that really kind of see this as a different experience for them. Hmm. Uh, and when they sent that out, you know, there's a lot of people saying, you know, we can't get together. We can't even see each other. And when you look at the granularity of the detail of what the announcement says, it is as of midnight tonight, um, you want to stay at home unless it's necessary. And it's two to nine people that can be together, but not in a public place within Mm -hmm. your community. So, you know that kind of detail can be very relevant on how we interact with each other. Mm -hmm. Right? If, as I'm driving up the street, if I don't know that you know people are allowed to go out on walks, right, and they're allowed to be together, then maybe I look at them and I roll down my window and I yell out, right, Mm -hmm. and I'm saying, "Hey, go back to your house." Well, that's not what the rule says, right? And and we need to be careful, right? And to to the more we we get those directives and have that fear, I, I just suggest people look deeper and and make sure they understand the guidance in detail, mm-hmm. what is allowed and what isn't, and follow it, right? So, other things that are anecdotal experiences from my perspective is is you know when I saw how COVID you know survives on various platforms, whether it's plastic mm-hmm. or metal or. Cardboard, whatever. There's different hours that it survives. Mm-hmm. You know, I was going to, uh, you know, a healthcare interaction, and they they had very focused processes in place. And I shared the screenshot, and I said, "Did you know that these survive on these different surfaces, different ways?" Mm-hmm. And it was surprising to know that you know that person that I was interacting with didn't know the specifics. Mm-hmm. They may have had instruction already, but. I just wanted to take some time to just deliver that message just because it may help another person the next time that they are responsible for cleaning, they're Mm -hmm. going to be a little more focused on the surfaces that, you know, are in that data. Mm -hmm. So it's a matter of just continuing to grow and and getting deeper into what the guidance says and, and then... Uh, making it more of a social norm where it's comfortable for us to talk about it. Mm -hmm. Certainly, it shouldn't be attacking or or, or criticizing people, but more of an encouragement voice, right, Mm -hmm. is to make people feel like, um, you know, you can't be perfect in this environment, but, you know, you're trying to make the best decisions as a whole. We still are people. We still need to, you know, go to the store. We Mm -hmm. still need to get, you know, food for our families, um, you know, but practicing safe practices and keeping distance from each other mm-hmm. and, and creating social norms that you're going to continue to investigate uh, um, is, is probably a, a good thing for us to encourage as a society.
1: Oh, I, I agree. <clears throat> and being able to, you know, taking this time to really reflect on what's really important in life. Um, you know, I mean, this is like a big reset for everybody to be able to slow down And to really think about, uh, you know, the values that we have and really connecting to those values and what's really important, family, our friends, life, you know. And, and, you know, I I love what some of the uh, things that people are doing in Spain and Italy. I mean, they're singing to each other. I and mean, they're, they're singing across the, the ways to reinforce and to support one another as they're going through this very difficult and challenging time. And you see the resiliency of people. It can actually draw you closer and, and awaken inside of you that uh, there, we, we are, have a lot more in common than we do differences. And these kinds of things yeah. really focus on, on the things that, uh, that matter and, and what matters to you. And opening that up and getting more involved in, 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 in your communities in those ways and doing things online. There's the things that you can do online. And I know I have uh, friends of mine who are yoga instructors that are doing classes online and doing different things. And they're, so they're modified so we can still stay connected to one another during this period that we have to kind of limit our, our social distancing so that we can suppress and, and, and put down. And, and uh, what is that? Uh, flatten the curve that they're talking about. Now, Jason, what, have, what things have you seen in the response to COVID-19 that have, that have been in common with other outbreaks and, and what has been different?
2: Yeah, I, I don't want to overplug the technology uh, that I've seen. Both you know, in LinkedIn is a, is a great source, and obviously the internet is is a great source that just wasn't available in the past. Right, right. and then then we got uh, extensive you know analytics and um, artificial intelligence modeling tools that are helping people understand the significance of um, the the outbreak and pandemic as it's occurring. Um, I think you know other other differences is is we're connected to each other through mm-hmm. tools right and mm-hmm. uh, I was on with family and then another anecdote um I just because um I got a message a lot of it is you were a former public health service officer tell me what to do right <laughs> right it was a cousin and so no. um uh, I I just got us on you know three ways and just had a conversation and, mm-hmm. and um one of the my cousin said I, you know I got to go visit my mom and I said well, uh, can't you just use your phone to connect mm-hmm. by vo- video mm-hmm. to, to achieve, attain that connection? It's not the same. I agree it's not the same, but mm-hmm. it's a sacrifice that might be worth, you know. So mm-hmm. just kind of being that, that person that, that be a sounding board and encouragement. So, um, you know, that sometimes that's, that's all we need is just say, it's okay. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I understand what you're feeling, um, but, you know, that may not be the best for um, what's appropriate for the community right now. So, you know. That, <laughs> right, right, right. So another, another thing that I saw that was really cool is, is the news and, and broadcasts are putting out examples of, of people doing amazing things. And mm-hmm. uh, I saw a person put their picture, their phone number, and they offer to an elderly person to call if you need any food delivered.
1: Oh, wow. Wow. Wow, that's amazing. So,
2: so now, so now you, you're you're creating norms on the television and, and putting these stories kind of in. This is where the media is really important, is to create norms where we start thinking about who could be at risk because mm-hmm. of a quarantine, mm-hmm. and then, wow, amazing! What what can I do to to put my face out there and create new norms, mm-hmm. right? To to be supportive and helpful, mm-hmm. right? And you know. Wow, what an amazing statement the sports industry is is had is is I I, I by my normal process go into the garage and do my biking and I was watching Sports Center because I have have it recorded and <laughs> and all it is is talking about what it's like without sports and you have <laughs> right, the NBA right. commissioner talking about. The need for testing and methodically going through and showing respect for the public health authorities, mm-hmm. the the decision makers, and we're not moving without any kind of confirmation that we have the appropriate tests and the right crowd mm-hmm. management or no crowds, and you know the number of people that that are going to be involved is X, and is that safe, and is there not so. So to me, it is the connection between people's actions and the science, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And that's that's what I'm seeing uh, a tremendous growth around both friends and what I see in the media that I'm I'm super happy to see uh, progress.
1: Well, I think it's it is it, it's wonderful, and I and I've heard of uh, and there's a story that I'll be reading here in a little bit of people reaching out, and and yeah, they're. They're, they're giving their numbers out to the elderly and people that are in their neighborhood to uh, to let them know that to call them if they feel alone. Uh, the kids that are going through the school lunches, you know, a lot of kids that are coming from underprivileged uh, uh, circumstances, um, they you know they get their school lunches from school, and so they're going around mm-hmm. in places in Wisconsin and other places where they make the lunches and they do it under all protocol, and they're they're driving out to all the kids so that they get their lunches. So if we continue to reach out and extend ourselves beyond ourselves, stop thinking about us and thinking about how we can help the community now. Uh, How can I, you know, stop being so narcissistic, start getting outside of ourselves and and really recognizing that, yeah, that I might have some limitations here, but I can do something good. I can bring hope to somebody. I can be Mm -hmm. encourage somebody. I can uh, be a sense of, uh, you know, a light in the dark for people that may be feeling a little bit of fear. We gotta lean into the light. We gotta lean into that and we do that by our actions. And so, you know, it's just those little things that people are doing and, and Jay, I think it's it's so beautiful to see. Um being prepared is always a challenge, right? You know, and uh um, mm-hmm. from your experience, yeah. uh what kind of challenges are there in maximizing preparedness for the future?
2: Yeah, so preparedness is a cycle right it is uh, what did we what happened in the past what resources are necessary what could happen in the future so what that is you know that process requires uh, thinking about um, the potential of something happening but not knowing the gravity of it
1: Mm -hmm.
2: uh, before it happens Um, so there's a lot of ways the preparedness can can grow is really uh, financial decisions really is what it comes down to is what do we need to have ready right and and sometimes it's really hard for us to prioritize readiness and preparedness right for when you're going on with your normal life Um, but unfortunately that the reality of things the preparedness that we we have are preparing for lots of different things and there's resources that can be used that were intended for x And we're using it for why Mm -hmm. and why being this response, right? So um, to me, I I have been made aware of a lot of initiatives where things that we got ready for war, right, would be used for uh, something in response to this. So Mm -hmm. to me, it is um, continue to invest in that preparedness and respect Mm -hmm. that at the time that that... um, Escalation happens as it has here, that the leaders of, of all our nations are going to be looking for additional resources to support it. Mm-hmm. And the most important thing is how efficient when this is over, for us to relook at our projections and relook as, with a solid group of lessons learned mm-hmm. without pointing fingers, the best organizations end the crisis with a solid lessons learned document, right mm-hmm. or, or process everybody has input right and then what comes out is better preparedness next time Mm -hmm. the tendency as we're going through is point at a lack of preparedness Mm -hmm. and it's it's a normal reaction Uh, but i think it's it's tough to anticipate everything right Mm -hmm. and it's tough to uh, know how much effect our prevention efforts are going to make so mm-hmm. if we if we practice social dis- distancing if we if we do stay you know at home and follow that direction is that gonna mitigate it enough where we don't need the resources that we're sitting there mm-hmm. okay if that doesn't help we should have had three times the resources when nothing's going on it's hard to invest in that why mm-hmm. it's because prevention right is tough to invest in because you don't know what you prevent and you don't know what's coming. Right. So that whole concept contributes to a difficult challenge. And it's always best to think backwards Mm -hmm. in, in our next strategy to become stronger aligned, right. In in getting better alignment and resources and the needs. Um, and each scenario contributes like, I'm sure that, you know, this Spanish flu had a pretty strong after action report, and there were some processes been put in place may have never been used right and it's been so long now obviously but you know some of those things may be in place today it's mm-hmm. the matter of you know professionals taking time to look at it and assessing uh what could be done better next time mm-hmm. and i i think it's you know it's hard not if that not to be, you know, in the political framework, but because because it's just a normal reaction. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, we're stronger when we when we have facts and, and, and then we um, plan our investments for the future.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. And it's being able to recognize that we do learn as we go sometimes and we do everything we can to prepare And in these kinds of situations. Uh, trying to prepare for something that hasn't happened yet. It's, all, it's very hard to get people to jump on, on board with those kinds of things And it, because you're doing preventative measures and you don't know how many lives you save because you've enacted those preventative measures. And people can you know, say, well, no, none of these things helped. Well, they actually may have helped tremendously, but we don't know that. And so, being able right. to be vigilant now we 've got to deal with what 's going on right now, not what could have been should have been ought to have been that's, a, that's, that's, that's you know that 's for another time, another place it 's not for right now because we 've got to deal with what we have on our, on, on the table, and how are we going to save the most lives? How are we going to be able to maintain our our, our health care system so that it doesn 't become overwhelmed? How are we going to take care of our doctors, nurses, first responders, people that are going be that are going to be uh, constantly around the people who are sick? Uh, how are we going to help to make sure that they're getting taken care of as well? How are we going to keep this from spreading? Uh, and, how, and, and trusting those people who have dedicated their lives to preventing these kinds of infectious diseases from spreading uh, and, and trusting in their their wisdom and their knowledge. Uh, it's one of those times where we have to come together in that way and believe that what they're saying to us is the truth. And, um, and then after all these time has passed, then we can get into the... Not all that other stuff that, you know, You know who is right, who is wrong, what we can do better, that kind of stuff. But when we're dealing with these things, what are some things that we have to consider, uh, Jason, when we're dealing with both complacency and hysteria? Because we've been... Pfft, all kinds of hysteria. People panic buying, buying all this toilet paper, you know, and we can't even buy, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, the shelves are, are, are strolling, you yeah. know, stripped down. And so there is, I mean, it, it, it panics us and we, we don't know what to do. And so what do we have to consider when both complacency and hysteria that comes from a situation like COVID-19?
2: Yeah. So interpersonal, right? Inter- interpersonal norms and addressing those is hard uh you don't want to be the person that reacts you know be is is the doom and gloom person in your group right
1: mm-hmm. true
2: you don't want to be the person that is the the um oh no we don't have any problem and then be proven wrong six months later right um so there's a social interaction that really drives kind of how we treat each other and it's 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 um, complacency overcome by just being open about new thoughts and new ideas and being a leader to try and avoid that complacency uh, thought and maybe insert something constructive in a way that's not proven them wrong or, or pointing out their deficiencies, but make them think. Mm-hmm. So those are the, some, some things, and again, uh, hard to justify prevention, um, to people Mm -hmm. when you know they don't know whether they were a carrier and it could have been on their shoulder they passed it to somebody and then they washed their shirt and killed COVID 19 right there's there's a possibility that could happen Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. and so um that you know talking through some of those dialogues can really address you know someone that isn't is showing complacency in a constructive manner, it's about it's about delivering that message and staying connected because no one wants to have someone you know point at them and yell at them that they're doing something wrong. What they want to hear is you know what can I do better? Mm-hmm. So that's a, a constructive way to and, and accepting the reality of the limitations of prevention and and there's no way to prove it, right? It's, but it, but we still have a job to do. Mm-hmm. And obviously hysteria, you know, this is a very severe severe situation. We've we've got you know. Financial impacts, economic impacts, you know, personal finance issues. So, um, you know, when those things start to happen, it's it's a normal reaction. So, the best you know we can do is is just be understanding and uh, try to refocus our efforts on giving back to the community. It's you know, good good sources, the media, and they're they're trying to obviously do a lot with uh, recognizing the need for blood. And having safe ways for people to donate, donate blood is not staying in your home, right? Mm-hmm. But um, it's considered one of those urgent needs because the hospital system has um, a demand for blood. So, mm-hmm. what is the process that we need to do to, to refocus on the community, and then think of the bigger picture? Is um, you know, despite these challenges, the financial challenges, the interpersonal you know challenges and differences that may be developed from this. Um, the most important thing is is recognize we're going to get through this, and when we do, we're going to become right mm-hmm. a closer knit community that understand each other better. And oh, yeah. the next time it happens, we're going to get quicker to action, right? And and maybe prevent one or two more cases, or you know, do things and respond a little more efficiently, and um, not let those barriers get rid of those barriers to complacency uh, quicker. Uh,
1: absolutely, um, absolutely, getting rid of those complete, you know, because. I, Sometimes people, and I, and I know I'm not doing right, I keep touching my face, I'm not doing all the things. So I'm still trying to figure it out and moving, you know, as people are watching, they're like, well, you're, you're touching your face, you're not doing all I know, I'm still learning as well. I'm, I'm learning the protocols that are part of the guidelines that we all have been asked to do, uh, That part of that 15-day to slow the spread. And, and it's real, all right? And these are things, and you could download it from the CDC And, you know, it's uh, listen to those state and local authorities. This is not here to try to, you know, take away your freedoms. It's to to preserve life. This is about life and and preserving the people we care about and identifying the people that you care about. I think about my mom. I think about my dad. These are people that are vulnerable, you know, and I love them. I think about my aunt, uh, uh, Adelia, who just turned 89, uh, you know, my uncle Pasquale, who's uh, 87, you know, and my other Anzia Generosa. You know, these uh, others in, in other parts of the family and friends. You know, this uh, I w- I would devastate me if I was a carry for something like this for them. You know, so you got to put, if you can't do it for yourself, do it for somebody else. Think about somebody you love. Think about somebody you care about. Who am I doing this for? Make it personal. Make it a personal thing. It'll change the way you look at things. And when you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. And uh, so follow that. If you feel sick, stay at home. (laughs) Do not go to work.
2: I like that.
1: Thank you, brother. I appreciate it. Uh, (laughs) Contact your medical provider if you feel sick. If your children are sick, keep them home. Don't send them to school. Well, their schools are closing, but contact your medical provider. Someone in your household has tested positive. Uh, Keep the entire household at home. Don't go to work, don't go to school. Contact your medical provider. If you're an older person, stay home and away from other people. And if you're a person with a serious underlying health condition uh, that can put you at increased risk, for example, a condition that impairs your lung or heart function or weakens your immune system, stay home and away from other people. I mean, these are some of the guidelines. Very simple. They're They're not oppressive in any way. And the sooner we do this, the sooner we can get out of it. And, uh, you know, Jason, it's, it's one of those challenges that we face when we're confronted with a pandemic. Uh, and it is a yeah. pandemic. So what things have you seen in this pandemic that has been the most inspiring to you? And, and also, what has been the most challenging?
2: Yeah, I'll start with the challenging first, right? So, and, and then a positive. So misinterpreting, right? Either guidance right is is happening right and it's something that i i think people should put focus on um and then allowing emotions to get the best of them right instead of trusting that the process um and and the guidance that we're receiving needs time to process and you know keeping that process going learning more uh, adjusting your behaviors accordingly um you know some pessimism that it, with social media and our connectedness like okay how do we not Make it about um, getting on social media and making it wrong, but to suggest another idea or a concept that would add to Mm -hmm. the the thing instead of calling someone out, you know, some of those things. Um, And then, um, you know, it's a reality, right? But we have to respect the science. And just like Charlie, you've you've been highlighting the CDC guidance is they're the authority is is no matter what I say or what you say here, Mm -hmm. uh, really that website was not available back then. Not available in pre- previous uh, significant pandemics that are impacting the world, so um, it's a gift. So use it and understand what the specifics are um, as as you prepare for your response. So so those are some challenges that need to uh, we need to continue to work to overcome. Um, so the other thing is um, for the inspire side, inspiring side, I've seen a lot of people you know be advocates and leaders that you know unexpectedly not unexpectedly mm-hmm. but just you know not as vocal right um, initial pessimism and then now they're transformed right and they're really kind of searching for solutions and things to share within my text group or things to share socially online or um, you know um, a lot of people I, I even you know during this time I, I changed my LinkedIn profile to say public health advocate, right? I mean, right, so maybe in technology, but I'm a public health advocate uh, as well. So I put that in there and, and I think that, you know, is it, it brings attention and, uh, you know, I like to quote, is whatever you bring attention to becomes a monstrous, beautiful thing unto itself. And that's not perfectly quoted, mm-hmm. but uh, bringing attention, right, to, to what our purpose is. And, um, what that means by, to get everybody on the same page. It's, it's um, you know, my first post was, um, when, when the first data came out was, um, it's about aligning our process and resources. Mm-hmm. Here's what we, here's, here's what the need is. Here's what we have. Let's try to get alignment. Mm-hmm. And it's gonna be a very challenge get, to get there. Go world, we can do this, yes. right? Because it impacts everybody. Mm-hmm. And everybody has to understand it clearly. So go world, you know, and, and the inspiring part is I'm seeing lots of people come out of the woodworks with let's go world, let's do this mm-hmm. and um, change our thought process and behaviors. So, you know, restaurants still making money because they're doing takeout, you know, you know, neighborhood connections, you know, the blood drives I already talked about, you know, how do we get relief to people front doors, mm-hmm. you know, supporting people delivering food. Um, all awesome things that, that show that we're in this together
1: Absolutely, and we are into this together and, and there's so many people who tune in to the show, to the council from all over the world uh, we have two listeners from uh, Italy and France and Germany our hearts are with you and we can do this together in Iran, in Saudi Arabia, in Egypt where our hearts are with you, we're with you uh, we're in this together uh, in India, in China, in Japan in Korea, so many people tune in and, and we wanted to be able to bring you some hope and courage that we can get through this together. And we will. And uh, this is a, a world crisis and together we're going to make it through and we're going to be better than we ever were. We're going to be closer. We're going to see how important we are to each other and how important the world is to each other and how every culture is important to each other. And that and that's, could be one of the biggest gifts that we get out of this, Jay. Um, I want to thank, I can't believe we're at the end, Jason, for the show. Um, Before I go, I want to to let people know that I'm going to be having a retreat, and this is going to be a good time. It's called the Warrior's Heart Retreat. Uh, It's going to be hopefully in the mid of July. Uh, when some of this is passed and it'll be a great time to start healing our hearts and removing some of the stresses and anxieties, it's going to be in Loveland, Colorado. Heal your heart. We'll let you know more about that here as uh, time progresses. But right now we need to focus on, on, on getting the, on the world healthy and getting this virus. Uh, we've got to push back against it. Um, I want to thank KUHSDenver.com for hosting us here. KUHS is one of the best places you can listen to music, VDJs. Thank you, Henry, and all the people here at KUHS Denver, The Stream. Uh, We're broadcasting here in Denver and across the nation and all across the world. Uh, Our hearts are are with you. And, um, Jason, I have a poem that I'm going to close out with, but before I read that, I would love, I always ask my guests, and thank you, Jay, for being on here with me, man. I really appreciate it. Glad to do it. Um, we, I always ask my guests before they, uh, we close the show, if you could give one bit of advice, one bit of wisdom from your life experience, what would it be?
2: Well, a shout out to those in harm's way is what every nation you know, really wants to give um, give to because those that are out there protecting us and with this particular challenge right it's a different group of people right it's not mm-hmm. the warriors it's the doctors it's the nurses it's the, the support staff that have to support them right it's the mental health providers that are dealing with crisis it's the police the first responders all those things that are dealing with hysteria and the challenges that come in the community those are the things that that are that are our new front lines for this particular disease so or this pandemic. So Mm -hmm. we need to give those the credit to those that are on that front lines, Mm -hmm. let the science drive it, thanks to the scientists, thanks to the engineers, all the people that that work together to deliver and protect our infrastructure as as an entire community um, and a world. So um, my my thought is shout out to those that are in harm's way, it's Mm -hmm. just a different harm.
1: Amen. It is it is, and, and we're with you as well. So shout out to them because you're, you're on the front lines of this. And, and I want to kind of close with this, um, this poem. It's a beautiful poem. Uh, it's by a priest in Ireland. Uh, he's a, Capuch- a Capuchin Franciscan brother named Richard Hendrick, and he's penned this beautiful, touching poem about this coronavirus lockdown. And I think you'll love it. Lockdown by Brother Richard. Yes, there is fear. Yes, there is isolation. Yes, there is panic buying. Yes, there is sickness. Yes, there is even death. But they say that in Wuhan, after so many years of noise, you can hear the birds sing again. They say that after just a few weeks of quiet, the sky is no longer thick with fumes, but blue and gray and clear. They say that in the streets of Assisi, people are singing to each other across the empty squares, keeping their windows open so that those who are alone may hear the sounds of family around them. They say that a hotel in the west of Ireland is offering free meals and delivery to the housebound. Today, a young woman I know is busy spreading flyers with her number through the neighborhood so that the elders may have someone to call on. Today, churches, synagogues, mosques, and temples are preparing to welcome and shelter the homeless, the sick, the weary. All over the world, people are slowing down and reflecting. All over the world, people are looking at their neighbors in a new way. All over the world, people are waking up to a new reality, to how big we really are. To how little control we really have, and to what really matters, to love. So we pray and we remember that. Yes, there's fear, but there does not have to be hate. Yes, there is isolation, but there does not have to be loneliness. Yes, there is panic buying, but there does not have to be meanness. Yes, there is sickness, but there does not have to be disease of the soul. Yes, There is even death. But there can always be a rebirth of love. Wake to the choices you make as to how to live now. Today. Breathe. Listen. Behind the factory noises of your panic, the birds are singing again. The sky is clearing. Spring is coming. And we are always encompassed by love. Open the windows of your soul, and though you may not be able to touch across the empty square, sing. Folks, the council is adjourned. We will be back, hopefully, in two weeks. We're all in this together. May you all be well. May you all be free of pain and suffering. May you all be whole. The council is adjourned. God bless.